Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast. My name is Patrick Adams, and today's guest is Tony Hayes. Tony is a returning guest. If you go back to season one, episode 57, Tony and I talked about lean transformation. Uh, but Tony is an executive lean leader responsible for the Wabash management system, continuous improvement and quality. Uh, he's supporting the CEO and executive leadership team, driving customer value creation. Uh, Tony also serves on the executive advisory board for the Shingo Institute. He has extensive experience in delivering profitable growth, improving risk profile, uh, and increasing returning on return on invested capital in the automotive, transportation, aerospace, and defense industries. Welcome to the show, Tony. Uh, thank you, Patrick. It's uh, awesome to be invited back again. Thank you. Absolutely. We had such a great conversation last time. I wanted to di dive back in with you and talk specifically around uh, learning culture. So we're going to dive into that. But for those of you that are uh, listening in and can't see the video right now, I'm just looking at Tony's background, and it looks like uh, you have quite a few uh, sports memor memorabilia, including uh, MSU. So are you an MSU alum? Yes, I am. Proud MSU alum. Uh, go green, go white, and uh, Spartan strong. Absolutely. Uh, and Michigan State was uh, was in the news recently, unfortunately not uh, for a, a positive uh, situation, but there was a shooting on campus. Yes. Uh, and for those that don't don't know, uh, that's obviously you know right in my backyard and Tony's backyard. Uh, and uh, there was it was a pretty intense situation, uh, an unfortunate situation. Um, Tony, what what's been your experience with uh, the recent shooting there, and what's gone on? Yes, uh, you know, I I also uh, have the opportunity and pleasure to serve on the West Michigan uh, Spartans uh, board, mm. our executive committee, and we we've been talking a lot, obviously, about uh, the event, uh, and quite honestly, just kind of going down memory lane and thinking about our times uh, on campus and walking by those very familiar buildings, and just thinking back to uh, what our experience was like and how these students are you know probably now forever affected mm. uh, by by those terrible events uh and those three students obviously uh their families uh you know having a loss like that has to be tough and challenging uh what has been really encouraging though is just the overall support mm -hmm. uh, in the spartan community you know, we have a slogan called spartan strong uh, and very much so, you know, all of the Spartans, uh, you know, worldwide have really come together to try to embrace, uh, you know, the students and, and, and the families that had to go through this. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and I don't want to give, I don't want to mention the name of the shooter, or even talk about the shooter. What, I, what I'd really like to do, if, if you're okay with it, is really highlight the, the individuals that you know, lost their lives that day and maybe even, you know, a moment of silence for... Yeah. Uh, those three individuals and the many others that have been impacted from from the shooting. Tony, do you do you have the names by any chance of the three individuals that uh, the the three students, uh, Ariel Anderson, uh, Brian Frazier, and Alexandria Verner uh, were the three students um, that were uh, clearly affected. And uh, yeah, appreciating uh, your sentiment there in a moment of silence would would be great if we could do that. Yeah, let's do that. Let's take a few minutes here. Mm 
prayers and thoughts definitely going out to the families and and the students that were involved and um yeah. definitely appreciate the the community support that has happened around that um so thank you for for uh taking a minute just to to hit on that tony appreciate you know the connection that you have there and and um you know definitely you know my prayers go out uh to to the the people that were impacted um so let's 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 uh transition here uh from from that uh, um topic uh and kind of move over into uh talking about lean culture and and uh um you know specifically some of your experiences there um you know one of the things that we talk about a lot when we when you think about lean uh deployment into organizations is you know that it's not about the tools that it, it's got to be a, we have to understand what's behind the tools if we want to be successful we can't just go out and say well you know toyota deployed uh kanban so let's put that in place and and we'll we'll consider that you know successful lean transformation right There's more that goes into it uh in developing what you know what you and i would consider a learning culture what would you say is the definition of a a good lean learning culture well you you, you hit on it perfectly um you know early on in my career i most most like most practitioners thought that uh lean learning was all about the tools and if I could just learn how to implement these tools or, um, you know, go to one of these, you know, uh, top premier lean organizations and just take these tools back with me, uh, could I implement this and create this lean culture from this collection of tools? And, you know, we all know, we all know absolutely that the tools are very, very important and germane to the transformation. Um, but this lean learning culture, this culture that uh, we're trying to define here is really one that uh, changes the way people think about problem solving. And that culture of trying to make and bring problems to the surface and making them absolutely transparent so then you can solve them is a culture that uh, is, is, is easier said than done Mm. Um, you know, we always talk about well, they have a really, really good lean culture. But what really is the definition of that? And the definition is that people, uh, the skill sets and the competencies are really centered around this idea of really, really robust problem solving. Mm. And to me, any of the cultures that I've ever been associated with or have been a part of driving a transformation, they're always characterized by this strong problem solving muscle mm -hmm. and you know i've always heard people say we just need to create an army of problem solvers well uh, the, the the fact is is that the more problem solvers you have the better equipped you are to really you know tackle and face the challenges that that come your way and so that culture then permeates throughout the organization when everyone from you know hr or finance it engineering right and obviously operations like if everyone was thinking that way wouldn't that be awesome mm. right and so then that kind of defines uh your overall culture and so to me that's what that's what really defines uh what that looks like in real life and then how people actually uh exhibit that in their day jobs yeah and and one of the things that you mentioned was the the transparency of problems and making problems visible 
Um, it, it's it's always crazy to me how many organizations struggle with that. With the, the and it, and I think that's you know I don't know I I see it obviously in the U.S. I don't know if that's a cultural thing to the U.S. But it's 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 something that uh, I see so often where uh, individuals are worried about you know making problems visible. They don't want to show any red on on their you know transformation charts. They don't they don't, right. they don't want to bring up problems because of you know fear of uh, you know um, not yeah. being looked at like they're not doing yeah. the job or whatever it might be. What's been your experience from that perspective? Why, why do you think it is that it's so difficult to just make problems visible so that we can then go after them? Well, I think it goes back to the first the first question you pose. It, it's, it's really about the culture. Mm. And if you don't have a strong culture that's comfortable with the uncomfortable, right, or comfortable with uh, facing challenges or failing, uh, you're also going to have that very same culture that doesn't want to bring up those problems uh, mm -hmm. because they're unpopular or they fear the consequence. And so my experience has been it, it varies right from organization to organization. Uh, but the ones that are strong, right, they are on the, the top end of this lean continuum. Uh, those are the ones that love problems. Mm -hmm. uh, they love the challenge of, wow. You know, we, we found 10 problems today or 100 problems this week and we solved them all or we put permanent corrective action in place uh, where they won't come back again. You know, those organizations get better every single day. Absolutely. Uh, but the organizations that kind of hang back uh, and, you know, well, if we don't say anything, maybe maybe they won't, you know, know that this problem, we kind of swept it under the rug or we created some workaround. And those organizations, they always stay status quo mm -hmm. or or even worse. Right. They fall way back, uh, you know, from a competitive perspective uh, because they don't understand that the more problems they solve, the better they get. It's better for the shareholders, better for the customers, better for the employees. Um, and if you if you if you keep that in mind, uh, you'll always be ahead. So true. Right? Yeah. And, and so. you know, the old uh, age old uh, uh, diagram of the iceberg of ignorance. That's what it makes me think of. And just, you know, the, the fact that a hundred percent of problems are visible to the frontline team. Yeah. And then yeah. you know, the further that you go away, obviously the less visibility that you have of problems. And to your point, the, you know, the culture also has a big piece in that. If, if you have a, a fear-based culture or a culture of yeah. hiding problems, then it's probably the, the percentages are probably even worse. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I could see it on the, the image and, and on your book uh, back there. Oh, yeah. Uh, this bird back there. And it does. It reminds me of that. Like what we see on the surface, uh, you know, the organizations that aren't very mature in this thinking, they only attack what they see on the surface, but they're not, you know, they're not doing their very best job to dig below that and understand what's really driving the issue. Yeah. Uh, they only take a look at what's right in front of them. And, uh, you know, I, I always think about my days early on uh, in, in automotive, and there were a lot of workarounds uh, in, in enough. And people were, you know, I'm not saying it was 100%, you know, fear-based type organization, but things that were not popular, people weren't bringing up mm. as often as they should, right? And that's not characteristics of every automotive company out there 
uh, just some of the ones I've been associated with, uh, there, there were elements of that, absolutely. And over my career, you know, when I think about, you know, good lean culture, lean learning culture, it's the ones that always do really, really good at problem solving. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And, and you know, we problem solving could be a whole nother topic for us, but you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's uh, uh, visit number three. Right? right. Yeah. Once you identify the problem, you know, yeah. ensuring that you get to the root cause instead of, you know, again, a lot of organizations I see, they're just just scratching the surface and they're solving right. maybe symptoms of the root cause, which, again, is a whole nother issue, which, like you said, we could talk about that on a, on a whole nother episode. Um, but the first step is to just make problems visible and, you know, then, you know, developing that learning culture uh, takes the uh, ability of leadership to uh, support team members in experimenting and, and helping to, to solve those problems, you know, after we've made them visible. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we touched on this, uh, Patrick, in our, our earlier uh, podcast that we had done. You know, the company is, that do very, very well in this have uh, good process design whereby they are making problems uh, transparent and visible, mm. right? So having some way to make the process sensitive to abnormalities, right? So they come to the surface. That's right. And then that, that very next capability in an organization is problem solving. Mm -hmm. Bring problems to the surface, then ultimately problem solve share that knowledge um, across the organization from a from a learning perspective right absolutely so we talked about uh you know fear-based leadership as being maybe one uh example of a, a challenge to creating a a learning culture um, yeah. what are some other challenges you think that that are out there that you've seen or experienced in creating this type of atmosphere within an organization yeah absolutely you know one one which people might not think about uh, time is a challenge mm. um, as you know you know when you're driving a lean transformation or creating a culture you know these these things don't tend to happen overnight and uh, from a leadership perspective having the patience uh, to you know weather the storm and 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 acknowledge that learning is a process time sometimes is a challenge uh, because it's not a race. Mm -hmm. um, but if leadership is in a hurry, right, to get to this end game, uh, which we all want to get to this level of world class and robust problem solving, uh, time then becomes a little bit of a challenge because the organization may be in a little bit of a rush to create this culture. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as we all know, if, if, if you rush that process, uh, the, the, the idea of sustaining that over time becomes less and less, right? That probability gets really low. Yeah. And so time ultimately becomes a challenge that you always have to, 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 to face mm -hmm. You're up against the clock, if you will. So that that becomes somewhat of a, a issue when you're trying to create this type of atmosphere. The other thing uh, is it could compete with other objectives. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you think about an organization and all the things that it's made up of, uh, all businesses are out to right generate some level of profit. They they want to grow. They want to be innovative. Um, but in that quest to do all of those things, there are times where the learning 
can take a little bit of a back seat. And so sometimes we don't prioritize uh, the, the learning process or what it takes to, to train and educate and mentor and coach uh, an organization. Uh, and so sometimes what I always say is these competing KPIs sometimes get in the way of taking the necessary time to train your workforce uh, and skill competency and, and, and those types of things, learning and, and training development, right? That's right. So, so sometimes that within an organization becomes a little bit of a challenge. The time aspect, uh, competing, you know, KPIs. Everybody's always worried about cost and you know, we financially, you know, viable, which are all important things. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you don't educate the people, which are, mo are your most important asset, can you really sustain any of that anyway? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so it, it always makes me think about that. So that's a great question. Yeah, and, and when you said time, I thought about two two different uh, topics. The one that you mentioned, uh, yeah. because, you know, I've had I've had leaders come out directly and and tell me like I'm looking for the silver bullet. <laughs> we need it by this date, and I'm just like I'm not a magician here. Like I'm not. I can't. Yeah. There's no silver bullet. It's a this is a long term play to transform your culture to uh, develop a sustainable uh, you know uh, a sustainable organization right. that that's going to be here for the long haul like right. uh, definitely we can look for low-hanging fruit and try to knock off a couple of things here and there but um, this is definitely a long-term play and leaders need to be committed to that right? yeah yes I, I you know it's it's funny i've probably had these same conversations in different parts of the world and and whatnot with leaders and you know if only i had the four or five things i needed to do to drive a lean transformation right it's all on this piece of paper and uh, if I can have that by, I don't know, 2025 or 2026, that would be really nice. Yeah. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, this, pro this process and transformations are very dynamic. Yeah. Uh, and more importantly than that, the people within the system are very dynamic. Yes. And so d depending on the level of competency uh, that you have drives that timeline and not vice versa, right? You don't put the timeline out there and say, oh, we need to be here by X, but then not have the skill and competency to actually pull it off. That's right. right? And yeah. uh, so you, you got to think about both. You know, Absolutely. And with those dynamics, I mean, you never, you you don't know what, what you don't, you, like until you get into it, until you start experimenting, and until you start, you know, learning things, you, you don't yeah. know, you're, there's, a, there's a certain threshold of knowledge that we have, and we can see this far, but outside right. of you don't know what you're going to come across. So it's hard to, you know, to put a plan together to, to meet, yeah. you know, something like that. But yeah. the other thing that, that I thought of when it came to time that I hear a lot is uh, we don't have time for that, or we don't um, mm -hmm. like, you want us to do a three day Kaizen event or a five day yeah. Kaizen event. I can't take people off for, yeah. for five days. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Um, so any experience with that or what, how would you respond to someone that says, are, we just don't have time for this. Like we have too much going on, can't do it. You know, let's figure something else out. Yeah. I, I think, I think the first thing Patrick, I always think about is what if we don't do this, <laughs> right? Like what if we don't take the three days or five days, you know, that's such a small commitment of time. And it, it's so interesting, even after, you know, two and a half, almost three decades of, of, of doing this type of work, I still hear that. Mm. I still hear that. I still, I still hear organizations say, and leaders, 
uh, oddly enough, say, I, I can't take folks off the floor. I can't dedicate a full three or five days to this. And, and my question always back or my statement always back is what else are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, are you telling me in one response that you're just happy with status quo? You don't really want to get better? Like, we are trying to take an opportunity to take your smartest folks, right? Your skilled technicians, your skilled players, uh, your subject matter experts uh, within this process. And we're going to all come together and collaborate and try to identify uh, the waste opportunities that we have, the flow opportunities that we have to make your process better. That, that doesn't sound good to you? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Right. And so my experience always with that is, is that in organizations that say those types of things or make those types of statements, there's a lack of trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a trust element that um, this is not going to help me get better because we don't really trust the process. And um, to me, that also lends itself back and goes right back to culture. Mm -hmm. Right. The culture of an organization that uh, feeds off of uh, those types of events. Uh, When I was working for uh, GE Transportation, it was very much that way in the opposite way, meaning that um, they were, you know, yearning, yearning for these events so they could get better, so they could be the best in the industry, the best in the business. And uh, it was very refreshing, uh, you know, because in our jobs, a lot of times we're doing a lot more pushing and convincing uh, that this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Lean is an enabler, and this will enable us to meet our growth targets and allow us to be more innovative and creative and solve problems um, and not necessarily have the pull right into into the business. Right. And. so I've had experience both ways, as you can imagine, you know, over, you know, a couple of decades, you, you run into all different kinds of scenarios, but the ones that are really, really good is the ones where uh, you're getting pulled in and not kind of pushing your way through the door. The most dangerous phrase in our language is we've always done it this way. There are an awful lot of posers out there, people that do lean because they're mandated to do it, They think it will work. How stable are you today? What are your goals? Are you generating small, simple improvements? There are very few people that embrace lean with their full heart, head, and emotion. Let's imagine that your current output is top-notch. Is that enough to stop innovating and stop reaching for more? Patrick's book uncovers the essence of what those organizations look like and what the posers look like. Caution, are you in the fake zone or the real zone? Order your copy today at avoidcontinuousappearance.com. And you meant, we're talking about uh, Kaizen events as well, which for those that are listening in and maybe are new to lean uh, or, or continuous improvement, you know, a Kaizen event would be a focused uh, improvement event where you're you're bringing a whole bunch of maybe something that uh, continue improvement that might happen over three to four months and you're squeezing it down into three days or five days. It's a very focused event, very focused. Yeah. 
we, we also, you know, look at daily Kaizen, which is just small yeah. daily improvements, you know, little things yeah. that you can be doing every single day. So yeah. I just, I don't want people to get the wrong impression that Kaizen events, you know, means lean. There's so much more, right? Oh, yeah. To, yeah. To developing a, a culture, a learning culture than, you know, a focused improvement event. Absolutely. And I'm glad you made that distinction. You know, I, I had a very interesting dialogue uh, with one of my uh, colleagues and the question was asked, why do we actually call them Kaizen events? And I said, you know, elaborate on that a little bit more. And he said, well, event feels like it has some finality to it. Mm. And if the Kaizen process, if it is rapid improvement, you know, that cycle really never ends, right? So it doesn't end on the Friday uh, or the Wednesday when you're done with the event, it actually carries on. Sure. And you're right, you're right. Uh, Kaizen is a mindset. Yes. Uh, so just because you block off some time on a calendar to get everybody together, it's it's really, uh, you know, just a, a way to get people in a room in a, in a specified time. But it doesn't mean the work ends. You know, one of the things I always tell people at the end of a, a, a Kaizen week is um, the week you're actually in the Kaizen and doing the work, that's actually the easiest time mm -hmm. right, for you when it really gets hard. Is when you go back to your day job on the Monday, following the Kaizen, yes. and where you truly behave and act differently than you did before we had the Kaizen. Like that's the learning, right? And if you're not actually thinking and 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 focusing and looking at problems and ways in a different way, uh, then we didn't spend our time very well during that week, right? Uh, so the real work starts after the Kaizen, not during. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's right? such a great point, Tony. I appreciate that very much um now what what would you say when talking about kaizen you know daily kaizen kaizen events but you know just a learning culture as a whole what would you say what role does leadership play in facilitating yeah. creating that platform for learning yeah yeah we, we touched on a little bit of this i mean it goes without saying that leadership has to uh support at the highest level uh they have to show a high level of interest and engagement uh in creating this learning culture but the best way uh i actually know is for them to participate mm. in the learning process um if not uh then they're not really embodying the the, the values uh and the importance around this learning culture like if they're not educating themselves uh on the the benefits of lean and what a lean culture really looks like and more importantly have their own leader standard work that begins to outline how they are moving about their day right they have to be an example right and so that's the, that to me that's the most critical role leadership can play is to not be a spectator and watch the transformation but be in the transformation right and so by being in it uh, they they themselves then are creating this culture by which the organization needs to uh to, to to move towards uh so that that's what that's what i've seen uh in my experience that is that has worked really really well uh when your leaders are actually living uh the principles and the culture and creating this learning uh atmosphere for oh, sure love that Work. yeah they have to be have to be invested in, in i i've actually worked with leaders on both sides of the spectrum um, yeah I've, I've worked with leaders that have said hey just give me a report 
you know, once a quarter and let me know how things are going. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, on the other side of it, like you said, leaders that have leader standard, their own leader standard work, they're involved in LPAs or layered process audits. They're out on the production floor, uh, conducting gamble walks, coaching, uh, you know, or, or, you know, again, we're talking manufacturing, but any at the gambo, wherever you might be, whatever industry that you're, you're working in, they're out there, uh, you know, yeah. physically, uh, being there and coaching and, and helping to lead the, right. uh, the learning culture. Um, right. I, I just thought of an example, uh, just the other day, I was uh, talking to an executive leader at an organization who, uh, went to a, they call them process improvement events. Uh, and he said, I went to a process improvement event and he said, I brought pie, uh, like apple pie to celebrate the, the completion of the event. And he said, that's why we call them process improvement events. We bring ah, interesting. I thought that was a, uh, interesting. Yeah. So he, he was, you know, trying to make fun and, and get excited, get the team excited and, uh, shared oh, some. That's awesome. that's and, yeah. and everybody likes, everybody likes pie, right? <laughs> right. So that's good. You know, it, it reminds me too. Just recently, um, I had a similar experience, um, but more so just a one-on-one -on -one gimbal walk with our CEO. Mm. And uh, the power uh, behind walking the floor uh, with, with your CEO, uh, looking, observing, talking, engaging, uh, with, you know, our, our production leaders and our team, team members, um, that, that goes such a long way mm. and really begins to highlight, uh, the importance of the work, right. And how important, uh, the, 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 the idea of creating this learning culture is right. And so everybody can see that, right. We've got 6,000 employees, uh, you know, at our company and, for them to be able to see that kind of in real time uh, helps them to understand how important the work is. And it also helps to facilitate the culture we're trying to create too at the same time. What would, so take us on a journey with you on this gamble walk with the CEO. What were some of the questions that uh, he or she asked and what, what were some of the conversations that the two of you had together in, in what yeah. you were seeing on this gamble walk? Well, he uh, very much wanted to see, you know, obviously in real time, let's go to the place where the actual work is getting done, some of the continuous improvement work that had been done over the last several months. So first and foremost, it was validation, uh, you know, seeing the whole, right, getting on the floor and actually seeing the work. So the questions were more towards how is this work being received from not only just the leadership, but the grassroots? Uh, are they connecting to the work? Are they providing, uh, you know, ideas for improvement? Um, are they engaged, right? Or are they kind of hanging back, feeling as if they can't contribute to the overall improvement? He was really, really concerned um, about that, that overall connection. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things we talked a lot about, uh, my conversation was, is, we historically have not done a great job of literally just preparing and doing the pre-work in advance of an event. Mm. And, and we have this uh, mantra, it's called 4-1-4. And really what that entails is four weeks of pre-work, one week 
where the actual event takes place and then another four weeks of follow-up mm. so then it goes back to the earlier discussion we had about time well we're not just trying to put you know uh 27 kaizans on on the board and on the calendar just to say we did them i'm more concerned with the quality of the event and not the quantity of how many we have that's right but we've talked a lot about uh the the real preparation it takes in advance of an event to make it a successful one so when we come out of the back end of it and we're doing a follow-up on that the results are actually sustained uh, so we talked a lot about the sustainment piece. What do we do to prepare for it? Are the, you know, the grassroots folks, are they engaged in it? Are they actually in the Kaizen mm -hmm. uh, event? Uh, what a novel idea to actually have the folks that touch the product in the Kaizen. Mm -hmm. uh, so we talked a lot about that. And he understands very, um, you know, uh, closely how uh, those things need to work together. Uh, to make a successful event. So it was an awesome walk, had a full two hours uh, uh, to have some really good engaging conversation. It was really good. Oh, that's powerful. Powerful. So, so important. And for those that are listening in to just to, to, to have the CEO out doing a gamble walk. Yeah. Is, I mean, that's, that's transformative in itself. So it, it should be happening on a regular basis. Unfortunately, it, it does not at many organizations. Absolutely. And uh, as you can imagine, he has his own standard work too. So love it. That's great. Yeah. So that's a, that's a powerful example of how you guys are developing a, a lean learning culture at yeah. current company. Uh, what other examples do you have uh, maybe at your current company or even could be at, you know, past experiences at other companies uh, of, yeah. You know, just helping to uh, you know support and and develop a a learning culture. Yeah. So, you know, I have to go back to a little bit earlier in, in the career when I thought tools were the answer, mm. and scalability of the tools was the way to permeate lean thinking across an organization. Um, but now that I'm a little bit older, a little bit wiser, um, I understand that you really have to scale thinking. And uh, how I've done that in the, the last couple of companies and, and my current companies, we've created you know, what we would call a lean learning academy or management system, lean management system uh, university, whereby we teach uh, very deliberately the principles of lean, how to identify waste. Uh, we have a change management component, uh, heavy, heavy problem solving, A3 thinking, uh, but really the premise of this learning is bringing in, you know, real life examples of problems that this cohort needs to solve using the tools, right? So then it becomes an atmosphere where they're learning a concept and or a principle and they're, they're, they are applying that uh, learning to the actual problem. Right. So they're flexing that muscle during the week. And so, you know, we've created a, a place, a safe place where people can learn these tools and apply them and being taught by, you know, lean uh, professionals and practitioners that have done this right in real time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at current company, uh, we've had six cohorts now. Uh, that have gone through this uh, management system university, uh, learning these tools, and then when they come out of the back end of it, you know, they're they're deemed a 
uh, management system uh, champion, if you will. Now that obviously doesn't mean they're a lean sensei. Okay, you, right. there's only so much you can pick up in a week, right? Absolutely. Uh, but they have a, a a very high awareness now of how to recognize waste, how to see waste, how to use problem solving in a very methodical way back in their home function, right? You know, so if you, you know, we had a, a, a finance uh, colleague go through and she came immediately out of that and did a process map, a value stream map of a process that she, a problem she was trying to solve. Wow. And it just it just validated the the, the concept of what are you going to do Monday now that you have this 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 suite of training now mm. what are you going to do Monday in your in your own job on your day job right that's and right so 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 that you know Patrick is a way to begin to scale this thinking and also if we've had six cohorts now it's 160 people uh, plus or minus a few that now can problem solve in a different way, see waste in a different way, uh, understand lean principles. Uh, they, they aren't scary, they aren't overwhelming or intimidating, and you can actually solve some real problems in real time. Absolutely. Uh, and you can scale that, right? Like now we can go across every level of the organization and get people into this learning uh, environment, this culture, and begin to create that. And then they become an extension, right, of the KPO. Right. So now it's just not, you know, my team of experts driving the change. Now you've got 160 more people, this army of problem solvers out there doing all these kinds of things within the organization. Right. And that's how you scale. That's massive. And, and the other thing, too, that happens is when they go through those classes together or the same class, you know, different yeah. when you yeah. get into an, an A3 activity or a, you're doing any kind of problem solving, you're speaking the same language. So things are so much more efficient, even in your, in your problem solving. That's right. That's right. That, that, that comes out loud and clear when we get the feedback uh, from the classes is uh, now, you know, interesting enough, we have a common vernacular. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a common language by which we, we, we talk about problem solving and it isn't just about the tools. It's about how we actually engage in this process now. Mm. And I get that all the time. Um, I was just at the uh, uh, NTA uh, truck show in India I mentioned uh, on, our, on our earlier discussion. And one of the gentlemen that is signed up for the next cohort said, you know, a couple of folks from, from my team have gone to the university training and they're using all of this language. And I know some of it, but I don't know all of it. Sure. And I'm so excited to go to the next session so we can all kind of collaborate together and I can understand uh, when they say A3, this is what they mean, or a Kaizen charter or whatever it is. And uh, that, that's powerful stuff, that's powerful. Mm, that's great, that's amazing. Very, very uh, cool to hear that. And just, uh, it, it'll be interesting to, you said 160 have gone through, you know, a year from now, it'll be interesting right. to, to for us to jump back on and and talk again yeah. and hear about how that is transforming the organization. Absolutely, absolutely. It's you know it's one of those things that uh, you know again early in the career it was more about you know how many kaizans did we do and a little bit more uh, objective uh, type things. But this uh, really is rewarding 
uh, to begin to see people think and, and address things and, and solve problems in a different way, right? That aren't, you know, formally uh, lean trained. Uh, it's really awesome. Yeah. Um, I, it made me think of a quote while you were talking about that. Uh, I don't know exactly uh, how it goes. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's something like uh, two executives were talking and and they were like, uh, one, of, one of the executives were like, man, we're going to invest all this training or all this time in in training these people. Like what happens if we if they go through our training and, and then they leave and they go to a, a competitor company or another company? <laughs> <laughs> and the other executive looks looks at him and says, uh, well, what if we don't train him and they stay? That's right. That's right. That's right. I've heard I've heard that uh, several times and it's absolutely true. Yeah, it's it's like why you, you have to. You, it's it's a you must you, for all the reasons that we talked about. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's awesome if it can be a transferable skill. I mean, why not take that risk? Right. You know, you you are upskilling and upgrading the competency level of your 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 greatest asset in the organization, which is your people. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want to do that? Right? right. Why not? Absolutely. Um, and Tony, uh, I'll men I'll just mention one other thing, and it's it's, a, it's actually a question. Uh, but so again, some people are probably listening in and going, "Well, you know, a week of people off the floor." uh sitting in a classroom that you know is it justified you and i would agree that it is for many different reasons but right. what i will say too though is and this is a question i guess not not me saying i have a question um are there other ways to to train people do they have to be pulled off the floor and put into a classroom is that a necessary part? Uh, is there are there any other ways to you know to maybe maybe if, if people are listening in and they're just thinking like okay we don't do any training today from a continuous improvement perspective where yeah. do we start yeah. we can't yeah. put people off the floor next week is there anything else we can do to start developing some of those skill sets do you have any yeah you know my recommendations are always this right you you know you can learn quite a bit from others. Uh, there's so many different venues where you can get information. I mean, these podcasts, you know, quite, you know, uh, quite obviously are a way for people to start to listen and hear some of the experiences of other folks, right? So um, it doesn't necessarily have to take you off the floor. It could be on your drive home. It can be whatever, right? There's so many different ways to learn now, um, but it doesn't always have to be it doesn't always have to be something where you get pulled off the floor and you're in this closed room and and whatnot. Um, you know, we have a uh, learning uh, system uh, whereby folks can go on their own time and and get uh, you know these bite-sized versions of these concepts and principles, right? And so they can learn mm -hmm. uh, at their own pace, like self-paced type thing. And so then when they do jump into an event, they, they are well more equipped uh, to be able to bring that learning and that knowledge, right? So when somebody says Ijunka or something like that or Kanban that they may not be familiar with because they've gone through this overview, sure, right? They, they definitely uh, can get a better connection to, to, to some of that information. I mean, there's books, there's all kinds of things, right? Yeah. But Maybe. one of the things I always I ask people to do is, you know, sometimes get out of the four walls of the organization that you live in. Right. Uh, sometimes good doesn't exist within the four walls. Uh, and so some, so sometimes you have to do a little bit of a benchmarking and understanding 
what or other organizations are doing to get that knowledge. Oh, that's that's so true. You know, and, and I'm part of a lean users group here in West Michigan yeah. for that exact reason. Uh, I, I mean, I'm a lifetime learner, you know, so I'm always looking, going into other companies to see how they're applying the tools and techniques and what their culture looks like and challenges yeah. they have and all these things. There's so, so much yeah. you can benefit from that. Um, and I was going to mention one other thing, too, is uh, if you can't do the classroom stuff, too, I mean, it, you have in, if you have individuals uh, internally that can go out and coach you know, right at the, at the, at the Gemba, uh, you know, go out, yeah. and build that into your leader standard work that yeah. you're out there every day teaching and coaching, you know, at the Gemba. Yeah. Yeah. To me, to me, you know, that's a great point. Uh, immersion, right. Uh, following along with, with someone that, that uh, is, you know, a little bit more versed and experienced with, how to walk the gimba, how to walk the floor, how to engage with folks, right? And then kind of be in a shadow uh, of that person is a way to do it. It's almost like a coaching, uh, you know, coaching kata improvement kata type scenario uh, where you have that kind of relationship between the learner and the, um, you know, the, the coach, if you will. Absolutely. So true. Um, and as we kind of wrap up here, Tony, I, I, I can't close up without asking you, uh, to speak specifically to uh, our listeners about, you know, your advice, your recommendations for anyone that's considering creating a learning culture within their organization. Now, there's listeners, you know, all over the world that are at different places in their journey. Some are much further along, you know, in, in their uh, lean journey. Others are just starting or maybe even hearing lean for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're talking to a, a large range of individuals, but yeah. Uh, what advice would you give them if if they're considering creating their own learning culture within their organization? Yeah, I think my main advice is uh, don't worry about the clock. Um, you know, time time really is your friend. Culture uh, is not a race. Uh, it's a very very hard thing to do. It's not about the tools. It's more about the behaviors. And you know, focusing on the the sustainability of that learning is my advice. Uh, not necessarily the, the the process of learning or creating the platform as much, but what what's the end game? What's your expected outcome, right? Uh, you talked about it a little bit earlier, right? We have 160 folks now that have a better understanding, common vernacular. Um, but what's our what's our end goal, and what are we trying to get to, right? Uh, well. I want three to 5% of the organization to be advanced lean thinkers, right? And so in an organization of 6,000, that's a lot of folks, right? That would be thinking and acting and problem solving in a different way. Uh, so don't be so worried about the clock and how quickly uh, you do this. Uh, it's more about the sustainability. It's more about creating a, a true environment where people can learn in a safe environment, right? It's gotta be safe. And it's got to be a place where they think, you know what, if I make a mistake, it's OK. Um, and I don't want to fear the consequences because I'm bringing problems up. Right. That's that's how you create this learning culture. So that would that would be my advice. Love it. Good advice. Uh, Tony, it, it, it's been great. Uh, obviously, we could talk forever. We got to have you back again and maybe we'll dive into structured problem solving or A3 thinking or something. Yeah. to that effect. Absolutely. Uh, but Tony, yeah. if anybody wants to get a hold of you, uh, if they have a question or, you know, where would they contact you? 
Yeah, there's various uh, ways folks can reach out. Um, I think one, I could you know provide an email, um, dhays3396 at gmail.com. They can send me uh, any questions that they may have if they want to dive deeper uh, into it. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I think that's probably probably first and foremost a great way uh, to link up or have a question. Uh, they can reach out to me there, but then also see some of the things that um, you know I've been connected with or doing uh, that may help them out in their journey. So either of those two ways. Perfect. And we'll throw both of those links in the show notes. Uh, so if anybody yeah. does want to reach out, you can go right to the show notes and you can find uh, links to, to contact with Tony. Tony, it's been great to have you on once again. Uh, appreciate your insight and your advice, your recommendations, your examples, everything that you've given us today. A ton of value here. Thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Patrick. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.